0: Hey, folks, I just wanted to note that the audio for today's recording is a little bit subpar for what I try to maintain on this podcast. Um, Please accept my apologies, and I'm doing my best to rectify the situation. Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Russia, the United States, Brazil and a CEO in Hell from Germany and Canada it is sort of split between these two. Starting out in Russia this week, Daria Dugin, the daughter of Alexander Dugin, who is often called the Steve Bannon of Russia, even though it's it's quite a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, rather than being a political commentator slash like media personality, Alexander Dugin is a like established actual, you know, public intellectual type. He's like a lecturer-professor type guy. Uh, He is a member of the extreme right wing in Russia and has been identified as a sort of like progenitor of the kind of nationalism that Vladimir Putin supports. In any case, this weekend, Darya Dugin, Alexander Dugin's daughter, was assassinated outside of Moscow with a car bomb uh, that attacked the vehicle that she was in after she was leaving a sort of like musical cultural events place. It seems as if her father was actually the intended target of this assassination. Uh, however, that remains a little bit unclear. The attack has been claimed by an organization called the uh, Russian National Republican Army, apparently named after the IRA, the Irish National Army, uh, that opposed British colonization in Ireland. Uh However, the, even the existence of the Russian National Republican Army is disputed. It's not exactly clear whether this is a real partisan group or if it's an organization, or group of people, or even just like one person or possibly the Russian government that like pops up and says, hey, we did this in order to like stoke fears. There's a lot of uncertainty here. There's a lot of confusion. Some people think that, you know, like if this is a real organization, if the National Republican Army is real, then their stated goal, which is to overthrow Putin, is like really what they're trying to do, right? You know, like they're actually trying to get Putin to stop being the president and leader of Russia. Others think that it might be a false flag uh, to raise Putin's support, you know, like like, uh, that they, like Putin's people actually did this. Some people even think that Putin like intentionally was trying to kill Alexander Dugan and failed and ended up killing his daughter instead, and that he was trying to kill Dugan in order to make Dugan a, a martyr uh, for the cause of Russian nationalism. We really don't know anything more about this. We're just going to have to see. Moving on to the United States, Liz Cheney, the current representative for the Republican Party from Wyoming in the United States House of Representatives, uh, is facing the fallout of her loss in her primary contest Last week. Right now, she is moving against the rest of the GOP. And essentially, she's claiming that she's going to dig down deep. She's going to double down, not, you know, uh, push in her heels. She's not going anywhere. Uh, What she wants to do is to maybe contest the Republican presidential nomination in 2024. This will not go well for her. Um, It just is not going to work. There is not a big enough never Trump faction left in the Republican Party in order to make this work. Uh, I don't really know exactly what her plan is, possibly to just stay in the media and stay relevant until, you know, I guess she's hoping that like 10 years from now, when people wake up from the Trump haze, that she'll be there. You know, my, maybe that's a valid career move. I don't know. Speaking of Trump and, you know, how all of his political concerns and situations are going to pay off. Um, he is facing some serious risks now that he's going to be um, facing real terrible for him legal challenges uh, regarding his seizure and holding of important secret government documents that is United States government documents in his home in Mar-a-Lago. He and his lawyers are really fucking up their attempted suit against the FBI, uh, which they have made against the FBI's search on the Mar-a-Lago property. Uh, They think that, you know, they can follow the same playbook that they have been before, you know, by just like dragging their opponents through the mud and, you know, trying to make the case about their rights and about them being persecuted. But the problem here is that unlike when he was president, Trump can't do that and then also have some of the best legal minds in the United States in his court. Instead, he's got kind of nobody because most lawyers don't want to touch this case because they know that they'll lose, right? They know that it's terrible. Trump's only hope really is to try to delay things until or unless he gets nominated for president again or wins. And then, you know, like the, this can't really go forward because the FBI and a lot of like federal prosecution things have rules about like interfering with elections and like trying to avoid doing things that are close to election time. Um, so, uh, how that's going to work if Trump actually does, uh, seek the nomination, which he almost certainly will, and if he does actually get nominated, which he almost certainly will be, if he does seek the nomination, yeah, that's another thing we're just going to have to see. In further fallout of the raid on Mar-a-Lago last, uh, well, that was actually two weeks ago, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the extremely conservative and massively pro-Trump, representative for the Republicans from Georgia, uh, has said, and it's actually been corroborated by law enforcement at this point, she said that she has been SWATed. Uh What this means is that people called a SWAT team on her home uh, and that she and her family, I guess, were woken up at 1am by a SWAT team uh, attempting to enter her house based upon claims that there was a crime going on there this is something that people engaged in online and especially politically online harassment do a lot so if you recall the most disgusting parts of the gamergate phenomenon you know gamergate this like um time a couple of years ago when a bunch of people whose political identity apparently centers on them playing video games and them hating women uh used this tactic in order to harass female journalists and advocates and women who worked in the video game and technology industry—you know—they would—they would call the police on them or call SWAT teams on them in an attempt to, you know, scare them into silence. Uh, that's what swatting is. So Marjorie Taylor Greene apparently was a victim of this. We don't know who did it. Uh, presumably, it was somebody on the left, but uh, that's really hard to tell at this point. Um, it seems as if the uh, coalition around Trump is really uh in a volatile phase because nobody knows exactly what's gonna happen. Nobody knows who's gonna be on top. If he does get the nomination again, you know, nobody knows if he's going to win and so if they would be able to get away with any of the crimes that they've committed or that they might need to commit in order to get Trump to win. Um it's 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 all really uncertain here. Uh moving on to Michigan, there has been a conviction in a very important and interesting court case regarding two men who attempted to kidnap the governor of Michigan, Governor Gretchen Whitmer, in a plot that was a prelude to the January 6th attempted coup. This plot was going down in late 2020. Uh, The plot was connected to a local network of extreme right-wing militiamen, uh, all middle-aged white men, you know, uh, pretty much standard playbook stuff for how these militias work in the United States. Uh, these men were convicted of conspiracy regarding a kidnapping, you know, their attempted kidnapping of the governor of Michigan, whom they despised because of her being a Democrat, because of her being uh, in favor of COVID restrictions um, against personal activity that would potentially spread the coronavirus at an extremely dangerous time of the pandemic, you know, at an especially dangerous time of the pandemic uh, late 2020 in the United States. They were also upset uh, that their governor was a woman. You know, they were they were misogynists and they were opposed to that. Uh, so they're convicted of conspiracy regarding an attempt to kidnap her and also of an attempt to use a weapon of mass destruction because their plan was to blow up a bridge in Michigan as a distraction against their kidnapping plot. Uh, these two men have been convicted to life in prison. Now, as more right-wing terrorism just like becomes part of the fabric of national life, In the United States, um, we're going to be seeing more and more plots like this, and depending on who is in office, when, and where, we don't know if they're gonna like get the same kind of conviction or not. Finally, turning to Brazil, the president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, has appeared on TV for the nth time, saying what he has always said, which is that he will only accept the results of the upcoming election in Brazil this October if it is, you know, clean, he says, quote unquote. Uh, what he means is that he's only going to accept the results if he likes them, you know, if uh, he wins, or possibly he might accept it if it was like, you know, close, but not so close that he could claim it was stolen, but not also so much of a loss that he could say, claim that it was, you know, stolen also. Um, this is in the wake of a New York Times article which uh, quoted a bunch of people in Brazil, people in the Brazilian military and in the Brazilian law enforcement and legal system who said that, like, yeah, you know, of course there's not going to be a coup. Which, obviously, you know, who, in their right mind, being interviewed by the New York Times would say, like, oh, yeah, there could totally be a coup that I would be on the coup side of. Like, what... What the hell is that? It's ridiculous. I I I don't understand why people are thinking about this and talking about it in this way. It's deeply confusing to me. Finally going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week we are turning to Germany during and after World War II. I'm talking about a man named Otto Strasser. Now Strasser and his brother, uh, who is also important for this, uh, were born in Bavaria eh, Otto Strasser was born in 1897. He volunteered in the Bavarian Army in World War I. During World War I, the German Army was comprised of various units by the sub-national groups in the German Empire, so he was in the Bavarian Army. Uh, He served in the Bavarian Army in World War I. After the breakup of the German Empire after World War I, he served in the Freikorps, which is a nationalist right-wing German paramilitary organization after World War I. Uh, he was in the Freikorps 1919 massacre, uh, which stopped the Bavarian socialist uprising, uh, one of many socialist uprisings in Germany after the war. So this guy has some real fascist credentials. Uh, but these are proto-fascist credentials, right? It's 1919, fascism doesn't exist yet. However, uh, he did make good on these fascist credentials and joined the Nazi party in 1925, which is extremely early. Uh, And he became a prominent leader, a prominent leader of a faction of the Nazi party that actually took the socialist part of the party name somewhat seriously. This was an extremely populist and quote unquote left Nazi position, uh, which came to be identified with Otto Strasser and his brother, also named Strasser, uh, which is why it is called Strasserism. Strasserism is a form of fascism, uh, specifically a form of Nazism that is populist nationalist German antisemitism. They were opposed to finance capital, quote-unquote. They don't talk about Judaism and Jewish people in general, but finance capital for them is a dog whistle for Jewish people. They were, quote-unquote, producerists. Uh, So they thought that the economy should be in the hands of the people who produce the goods that people actually use, and that, you know, finance people are a parasite on this system. Uh, They supported some form of corporatism, uh, like, you know, where different um, professions and industries would organize themselves into guilds and that society might be organized in this way. In essence, Strasserism is a form of right nationalism that maintains uh, a stringent critique of capitalism. That's an important part of a lot of early fascist movements, uh, but which most fascist movements abandoned once they gained state power, the Nazis included. Now, if this ideology sounds familiar to you, uh, that's because it's extremely familiar. This is a, this is a, a read of the economy that a lot of people in the world have. You know, they think that the, the economy should be in the hands of the people who actually make things as opposed to the, you know, parasites who just feed off of the people who actually make stuff in the world. You see this kind of ideology, not just on the right wing, but also a lot of people on the left talk about stuff this way. This is not entirely different from the sort of mainstream swelling ideology of, say, the Occupy Wall Street movement, uh, which is one of the serious problems with that movement's perspective and the way that it talked about the economy. You know, that like, if only we got rid of these parasites, which the dog whistle here is that people know that they're talking about Jewish people. But the idea is that like, oh, if only society were to get rid of those people, then it would be able to be unfettered and organic and natural and fair, right? That's the idea of Strasserism, in addition to being a, you know, right-wing, violent, nationalist movement. Uh, Strasser and his brother were initially very powerful in the Nazi party. Uh, Initially, they had Goebbels as an ally in the party, but Goebbels and his faction eventually switched to the Hitlerite faction, as it was called at the time. Uh, And so Hitler gained uh, the predominant power in the party. This is a part of the internal struggle of the party in the late 20s and early 1930s. So in 1930, Otto Strasser was expelled from the party. His brother stayed in. Uh, His brother died uh, in the Night of the Long Knives in 1933, when Hitler was cleaning house and killing all of the members of the Nazi party that he opposed. among them, uh, the Strasser brother and also Ernst Rom, the leader of the biggest Nazi paramilitary organization at the time. So Otto Strasser, in response to the Night of the Long Knives, sought exile. Uh, he went first to Austria and then all over a bunch of places in Western Europe, finally landing in Canada, where he spent the entirety of World War II, essentially being a media curiosity and also evading a Big price on his head that the Nazi party had put there ever since he escaped because, of course, uh, he is one of the biggest examples of an opponent of a rival of Hitler's who made it out, who did not die. He he escaped this uh, Nazi assassination system. Uh, After the war, Strasser was unable to return to Germany because you know, he was still a Nazi. Like, he, he never renounced his Nazi ideology. He never said, I'm not a fascist anymore. He, he never repudiated any of that. He was just like, yeah, I'm a Nazi, but, but I'm not, I'm not a Hitlerite was his, his position, his defense. Uh, he eventually was able to come back to Germany in the 1950s. He founded a post Nazi party in 1956. That was, um, a terrible disaster. Uh, it never won anything and eventually was unable to field any candidates in any elections anywhere and so went defunct. Uh, he died this week in history, August the 27th, 1974, in Munich, uh, apparently of old age. So Otto Strasser, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism, all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15minutesoffascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at Hist of the Right, uh, on Twitter and also Fascism15. All right, thanks very much, and I'll talk to you next week.